Please turn your attention to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to look at the end of that chapter, beginning in verse 57. Luke, chapter 1, beginning in verse 57, and then right through to the end of the chapter. Here's what Luke writes in his Gospel account. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak now through your word and through your Holy Spirit. We pray that you give us open ears and open hearts. We pray that everyone who comes this morning, all of us, would hear your voice. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our sermon series for this Advent season is Songs for the Savior. Music is a huge part of our celebration of this season, so it's fitting that we're looking this year at the first hymns of Christmas. And uh, last week we kicked off this series talking about Mary's song, The Magnificat. Today we're going to look at uh, Zechariah's song, The Benedictus, and then next week we'll look at how the angels sing Gloria in Excelsis Deo. And then on the 24th, Christmas Eve, we'll look at Simeon who sings the Nunc Dimittis. This morning, we're going to look at the Benedictus, which is Zechariah's song. This word, uh, Benedictus, the title of the song is from the first word in the Latin translation of this song. If you are a Taylor Swift song, you know that behind many of her songs, there's this story. There's often a, a guy she dated and broke up with and then wrote a song about. And uh, in the same way, there is a very interesting story behind the Benedictus. Zechariah is a priest in the temple. We're told in Luke chapter 1 that he and his wife are righteous before God. They are advanced in years, but they have no children because Elizabeth has been barren. 
Zechariah one day is serving in the temple when the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, your prayer has been, has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you are to call him John. And Zechariah says, how can I be sure? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And the angel says to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I'm sent to tell you this good news. But now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. It's interesting that Zechariah is a godly priest. He's righteous. He's an upstanding priest. And yet we're told he struggles with unbelief. He knows his Old Testament. Obviously, he knew that God kept his promise to Abraham and Sarah and gave them a child in their old age. But when that word comes to him, he can't believe it. He struggles to believe it. And I think it's evidence that we all struggle with unbelief. Priests do. Pastors do. Mature Christians struggle with unbelief at points. People who know their Bible inside and out sometimes struggle with unbelief. Zechariah struggles with unbelief in this moment. And God disciplines him so he's not able to speak for nine months of the baby being in the womb. Verse 62 of our passage tells us that the people made signs to him. So apparently he's, uh, not only can he not speak, he can't hear either. He's deaf as well. It's all part of God's discipline in his life. Apparently God says to Zechariah something like this. Since you didn't believe my word, I'm going to have you stop talking for a, a season so you can watch and learn what I can do. God is giving Zechariah a lot of time to think and meditate. He's essentially saying to him, be still and know that I am God. Nine months passes, the baby is born, and he's named John, and Zechariah's mouth is opened in that moment. His tongue is set free. And if you've not been able to speak for nine months, what is the first thing you say? I mean, you ask for food, your favorite food. Uh, do you say, phew, I'm glad I got that over with. There's that joke of the Calvinist who fell down the stairs. And the first thing he said was, boy, I got, I'm glad I got that over with. <laughs> Zechariah doesn't say that. He doesn't complain. We might say, God, nine months of silence for one moment of unbelief, really? That's not really fair. But Zechariah doesn't complain. Instead, the first words out of his mouth are praise. Praise be to the Lord. He sings this song, the Benedictus. I want you to know there's nine months of meditation and thinking that go into this song. It is a song of redemption. Verse 68, I think, is the theme of this song. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. We live in a world desperately in need of redemption. We live in a world that is at war. We live in a world, world filled with fears of climate change. We live in a world of political division. The world is broken in many ways. It doesn't take a, a, a person of great learnedness to say that. We live in a world that's broken and in need of redemption, and we are people in need of redemption. Taylor Swift, who uh, was named recently uh, Time Magazine's Person of the Year, has a song, Antihero, and in that song she sings this. I think the words are pretty searching. I have this thing where I get older, but never, just never wiser. Midnights become my afternoons, where my depression works the graveyard shift. All the people I've ghosted stand there in the room. I should not be left to my own devices. They come with prices and vices. I end up in crisis, tale as old as time, 
I wake up screaming from dreaming. One day I'll watch as you're leaving because you got tired of my scheming for the last time. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. At tea time, everybody agrees I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. As far as I know, I'm no Taylor Swift expert, but as, as far as I know, there's no romantic breakup behind this song. It's just an honest inward look. It's looking in the mirror, divulging some honest thoughts about herself. It's interesting. This song was one of the biggest opening days on Spotify for this song. 17.4 million listens in the first 24 hours. So a lot of people can apparently relate. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Remember a few years ago, I wrote in my journal these words. I'm my own worst enemy. And this moment where I just, I, I, got, I saw very clearly, like, it's not other people that ruin my life. I can ruin my own life very well. Thank you very much. I mean, I, I just, you know, it's giving in to my sinful desires and my weaknesses and my foibles. I can ruin my own life. And I was aware of that in that moment. People, we are a need, in need of redemption. And we can't fix ourselves. You know, you reach a certain age and you have a pile of unkept New Year's resolutions. And that's evidence that we can't fix ourselves. Zechariah is a great and godly person. As great and godly as he is, he knows he needs redemption. And he sings a song about redemption, the Benedictus. The Benedictus teaches us this morning that the birth of Christ brings redemption. The birth of Christ brings redemption. What is redemption? It is being set free from oppression or bondage through the payment of a price. A lot of movies about redemption. And in some movies about redemption, the character themselves, the hero, redeems themselves. But in this story of redemption, the Benedictus is about a redemption that comes from outside of ourselves. God comes and redeems his people. In this song, Zechariah sings about three aspects of redemption that I want to lay before us for our consideration. He sings about the plan of redemption, the preparation for redemption, and then lastly, a picture of redemption. The plan, the preparation, and a picture of redemption. First, let's walk through this song. First, the plan of redemption. If you have the passage open in front of you and you look at verses 68 through 75, almost every line of those verses is either a direct quotation of the Old Testament or an allusion to it. Which is to say, Zechariah's mind is so steeped in Scripture. I mean, no surprise, he's a seasoned priest. His mind is so steeped in Scripture, the Holy Spirit can use his thoughts and inspire those thoughts to write this song. What the song tells us is that God didn't send Jesus into this world out of nowhere. Jesus is not a last-second surprise gift. No, Jesus is the fulfillment and climax of God's plan of redemption all through the Old Testament, which is to say, to fully understand who Jesus is, you have to understand his background story. You have to understand God's plan of redemption, which is what Zechariah sings about in these opening verses. Verses 72 and 73, Jesus Zechariah sings, fulfills God's covenant with Abraham. Here's a quick tour of the Old Testament. Back in Genesis 12, God made a covenant with Abraham that his offspring would number as many as the stars, and through one of his offspring, the nations would be blessed. And God kept that promise over 2,000 years, over generations, over births and deaths of, of generations. God kept his promises until Jesus Christ was born. And that's the point of the genealogy in, in Matthew 1 that traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to Abraham. As a way of saying, this is the one. 
This is the great promised offspring of Abraham through whom the nations are blessed. Jesus is a fulfillment of, the, of God's covenant with Abraham. Jesus is also the fulfillment of the exodus of God's people from slavery in Egypt, in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. Zechariah alludes to the exodus in verse 68, God's coming to his people to redeem them. Verse 74, God rescuing his people from the hand of their enemies and enabling them to serve him without fear. It's a tie back, an echo of Exodus 7.16, when Moses goes before the Pharaoh and he says, God says, let my people go that they may serve me and worship me in the wilderness. Remember, in the Exodus, God's people start off being enslaved and oppressed by the Egyptians. And God sends a deliverer in Moses to redeem them from slavery that they might serve him and worship him in the wilderness. Exodus is the example par excellence of redemption in the Old Testament. And Zechariah sees that it points forward to a greater exodus and a greater deliverer in Jesus Christ. Which is to say Jesus is a new and better Moses who delivers his people from slavery to sin. Jesus is a new and better Passover lamb whose blood covers over his people and saves them from judgment. So Jesus is a fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. He's a fulfillment of the exodus of God's people from slavery in Egypt. And one more, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to David. Zechariah sings in verse 69 that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David who will save us from our enemies. It's another allusion back to the Old Testament, to 2 Samuel 7, when God promised David that one of his offspring would reign in his place, his kingdom and reign would last forever. And Jesus, Zechariah sings, is the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus is David's greater son, whose rule and reign will last forever. It's a quick sketch of the Old Testament. It's a way of saying that every storyline in the Old Testament, every picture in the Old Testament, every prophecy, every promise of the Old Testament finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. There is a Christopher Nolan movie. Some in our family are fans of Christopher Nolan movies, and so we've seen a lot of them. There is a Christopher Nolan uh, movie called The Prestige. Uh, if you've seen it, you know it's about, a, about some rival stage magicians in Victorian London. Uh, the movie came out in 2006, so it's been a while, but I'm still not going to ruin it uh, if you uh, want to see it. But I will say this. There, there's a moment at the end of the movie, and I won't tell you what it is, but it is a moment of revelation that casts a whole new light on the rest of the movie. It's a moment that explains the whole story. Suddenly, you understand things that happened before in a whole new life. This moment comes, and you're like, man, I, I need to see that. I need to uh, rewind and watch the whole movie again, because it's, it's this moment of revelation that casts a new light on the whole story. My friends, in the same way, Jesus is that moment of revelation in God's great story of redemption. It's the birth and coming of Christ that casts new light on the whole story that explains the Old Testament in ways you didn't realize and makes you and helps you read the Old Testament in a much richer and deeper way. You see, my friends, the Benedictus teaches us that the Bible is fundamentally one great redemptive story, one plan of redemption. The Bible is not fundamentally a moral guidebook. It has moral guidance. It's not fundamentally a moral guidebook. 
The Bible is not fundamentally a list of rules. I mean, a lot of people reduce Christianity to just more rules, the Ten Commandments. But the Bible is not just a list of rules. The Bible is not just a collection of Aesop's fables. I mean, a lot of people look at the Bible basically as a collection of Aesop's fables. There's these memorable stories, and all of them have a moral story. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is this great story of God's redemptive work in history. And the Benedictus teaches us that the climax and fulfillment of this redemptive story is Jesus Christ. So if you read the Bible and you miss Jesus Christ, you've missed the whole center of it. You missed the whole point of the Bible because the whole Old Testament, here's a simple summary of the Bible, the whole Old Testament prepares for and predicts and pictures Jesus to come. And then he comes in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament is a reflection and meditation on Jesus and the difference he makes in life. Which is why I love our children's ministry curriculum. The, the curriculum that our, our children are, are studying right now in our children's ministry, it's called the Gospel Project. It's a three-year curriculum that goes through the whole sweep of the Bible. Not just the greatest hits, not just Noah's Ark and David and Goliath. No, no, many stories, the whole sweep, Genesis to Revelation, and points in each story to how it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because our kids need to know, and we as adults need to know, that we don't need a moral example by which we can save ourselves. We need a Redeemer. We need a redeemer from outside ourselves. That's the plan of redemption that, that Zechariah sings about. Secondly, he sings not just about a plan of redemption, he sings about a preparation, the preparation for redemption. Look at verses 76 and 77. Zechariah sings, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. In the early chapters of Luke, there are two miraculous births, one to Elizabeth and one to Mary. And so there are two miraculous babies, John the Baptist and Jesus, but they're not two equals. John is born miraculously to prepare the way for Jesus. And John said of Jesus, he must increase while I must decrease. And in verses 76 and 77, Zechariah is singing about his son John, who will prepare the way for Jesus. And what does that look like? What does it look like for John to prepare the way for Jesus? Well, if you look a, a, a few chapters ahead in the Gospel of Luke, Luke describes it. John, when he grew up, went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways made smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. The preparation for redemption is repentance. And Isaiah pictures repentance in these images. It's the filling up of, values, of valleys. It's making mountains low. It's straightening crooked roads. It's making rough places smooth. That's what needed to happen on the east of Jerusalem. If a, a king and dignitary was to approach Jerusalem from the east, a way needed to be prepared. Preparation for redemption is repentance. Just making a pathway for a king to approach. When a city is approved to host the Olympics, that's a big deal. A lot of cities are vying to host the Olympics. 
when a city is approved to host the Olympics, there is a lot of preparation that needs to be done for this event. For example, Paris is getting ready to host the Summer Olympics in 2024 next year. And the preparations have already begun, no surprise. 10,000, over 10,000 athletes are going to be coming to Paris. Hundreds and thousands of spectators from around the world are coming, descending on Paris for the Olympics. And so, of course, they're preparing. They're, they're building new athletic venues. They're also spending millions of dollars repairing the roads, improving the railways, the transportation system. Because if the athletes and spectators are going to be able to get in and around Paris, a way needs to be prepared. The crooked roads need to be straightened. The rough places need to be made smooth. And the same way, if Jesus is going to come into a life, a way needs to be prepared. We, we sang this morning, Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. How do you prepare for Jesus to come into your heart? Well, crooked roads need to be straightened. Rough places need to be made smooth. That's what repentance is. It's straightening crooked places so that our hearts can be a home for Jesus. It's turning away from sins that we can come and turn to Christ by faith. So I ask us to consider this morning, are there crooked places in our lives? That's what sin is. Sin bends our hearts. And repentance is, is coming to God for, for straightening out. It's straightening out those crooked places, those rough places in our hearts. When the wealthy tax collector Zacchaeus encountered Jesus, he's hiding in a tree, looking, trying to see Jesus in secret, and Jesus comes along with his entourage, and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree, and he stops his whole entourage, and he looks up at Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must come to your house today. And Zacchaeus comes down and welcomes Jesus into his house. And in the midst of that welcome, he says to Jesus, Look, Lord, I give, you half, I give half my possessions to the poor, and I will pay back four times anybody that I've cheated. What's he doing? I think he's repenting. He's straightening crooked roads. He's smoothing out rough places. He became a very wealthy man, but he neglected the poor. So he's pouring his wealth out now in generosity to the poor. He became wealthy, but by cheating other people. And so now he's paying back the ways that he cheated people. If we want to experience the redemption in Jesus Christ, the response is faith and repentance. Two sides of the same coin. It's a believing repentance and a penitent faith. What is the preparation for redemption? How do we experience the redemption of Jesus Christ in our lives? It's faith and repentance. It's preparing a way for Jesus to come into our lives. Zechariah sings about the plan of redemption, and then he sings about the preparation for redemption. And lastly, what does it look like? What is a picture of redemption? If Jesus comes into my life, what is that going to be like? Verses 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. It's the image, perhaps, of a people on a journey in darkness. Perhaps they've been walking all night long. Perhaps they're tired and discouraged. Perhaps they're losing their way and they're they're discouraged. Imagine the first rays of dawn breaking in on them, how welcoming and hopeful and strengthening that would be. Throughout Scripture, light is a metaphor for God's presence with his people. When God, remember, leads his people out of slavery in Egypt, 
He appears to them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, the light leading them along the way. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. And so it's no surprise that redemption in Jesus Christ is pictured as the coming of dawn. Again, from our Advent reading in Isaiah 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The picture of redemption is the breaking of dawn, the rising sun, the start of a new day. Who needs this kind of redemption? It's people who are living in darkness. I'm sure you remember the story of the Thai soccer team that got trapped in the caves in 2018. The story was all over the news. You know the story. Twelve boys ages 11 to 16 and their 25-year-old coach wanted to have a little adventure after practice, and so they went into this cave, this well-known cave. But shortly after they entered, there was a heavy rainfall that flooded the cave, and suddenly these boys and their coach were trapped in darkness over two miles deep, over two miles deep in the cave, and they were stuck there for over a week. They could not rescue themselves. Apparently, some of the boys didn't even know how to swim. They had to be rescued from the outside. It took the best expert divers in the world six hours swimming against strong currents through murky waters through narrow places only 15 by 20 inches, inches wide to reach them. Imagine being those boys trapped in darkness, wondering if they were going to die, seeing that first diver reach them in the cave. I think he said hello. <laughs> Bringing light and food and the hope of rescue. And near the end of the story, in time, all the boys were rescued and redeemed. Not one lost their life. My friends, the Benedictus tells us that we are a people living in darkness. In the darkness of our sin. In the darkness of our selfishness. In the darkness of our pride and our lust. And if you're there, you know it feels dark. In the darkness of our anger. In the darkness of our fears and anxiety. And the darkness of our insecurities. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. And we can't fix ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves. We need to be rescued from the outside. And the birth of Jesus Christ brings that redemption. Jesus is that redeemer from the outside. The one promised through the whole Old Testament. The light of the world who stepped into our darkness when he was born into this world like that first diver reaching those boys, was Jesus' birth into this world. The rescuer has arrived. He's here. And he experienced the darkness of our sin when he entered into it on the cross. You remember this, this little detail, all the gospel writers include it, that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, darkness came over the land from noon until 3 p.m. as a symbol, telling us what was going on on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was experiencing God's judgment on sin. Jesus was being cast into outer darkness. That's the punishment for sin. And Jesus took that upon himself. He was cast into outer darkness. He, God turned his face away from his own son. Jesus was utterly forsaken and alone in the dark for our sakes. 
That was the price of our redemption, and Jesus was willing to pay it, that we might be redeemed. We experience this redemption won for us in Jesus Christ through our repentance and faith. What is that repentance like? I, remember, I remind you, it's like the dawning of a new day. Some of the longest nights in my life had been caring for a sick baby all night long. Some of you know exactly what that's like. When our kids were young, and there were moments they were sick, and it fell upon me to take care of them all night. They were, they were suffering. Uh, we were together in, in darkness. I was all alone as an adult. I was tired. I was counting the minutes go by, longing for morning. Longing for morning. Why? Because I knew when morning came, help would be on the way. I wouldn't be alone. My friends, I tell you, when Jesus redeems us, it will be like the dawn of a new day. Well, no, help, help has come. And we're not alone. Because he's with us. And he will rescue us from the shadow of death and guide our feet in the path of peace. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you know that we are a people in need of redemption. We are walking and living in darkness, oftentimes a darkness of our own making, and we can't get out. We can't save ourselves. Lord, would you teach us to turn to Christ, to repent and put our faith in him, that we might experience his redemption the rising sun, the dawn of a new day. Help on the way, knowing that we are not alone because he's with us. We pray all this in his name. Amen.